Hello, my friends. This is Brian Q. Davis broadcasting from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. And on today's very special episode, we continue our interview with Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell, and talk about the art of interruption. We'll join the conversation already in progress from episode one. But for most of us, how we feel comes directly out through our voice in a way other human beings can sense in the moment. I asked Chris Voss, how long do we have to get somebody to trust us in a cold call? And he said, seven seconds. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, our research says eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Actually, I told him that. And he says, your, your research is wrong. It's seven seconds. It's like, that's how long we have. It sounds short, but seven seconds is 28 emails. Wow. And if you could get somebody to read 28 emails and internalize them and feel good about the, the feelings that are in there, which, by the way, you're a lit guy, so you probably learned how to write in a way that can get some emotions across. There's a reason that there's so few great writers in the world, because it's so damned hard. Yeah. It is so hard to get emotions across. If you're writing a story and you can't get that feeling across right at the beginning that somebody wants something and you, the reader, now care about that somebody. And as a, as a writer, you've got like two sentences to pull that off. Right. right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Holy shit. What's going on? What's going here? on? Yes. <laughs> what's going on here? But we can't do this consistently in text. We can do it consistently with the human voice, quite literally by being ourselves. But we have to have a deep and correct belief in the value of the product. And the beauty is the product is the meeting and the meeting always has value. So you got you to gotta get that deeply in your head, which is like, what is this person likely to learn from meeting with me or one of my experts that will change their life for the good? What are they likely to learn? They don't have to learn it, but what are they likely to learn in that meeting? That's my product. How important is it to me that for them, not for me, but to me, how important is is it for them to go past, I don't know anything about this, to I'm curious enough or willing to attend the meeting? Well, it could change their life in a positive way. What's the cost? 15 minutes. Sounds like a fair trade. I should believe in that deal as a salesperson. Most of those people don't believe in that deal. Yeah. So did you, uh, again, if you're listening here, I hope you're taking notes on this, this podcast right now, because you just got a formula on how to eliminate scarcity out of your approach, which is you've got to believe in the fact that your 15 minutes of meeting with you is going to always provide value. Um, you, your team, whatever, even if your product isn't a fit, if you can fully believe that 15 minutes of conversation asking some questions, listening more than you talk, basics that we should know, that, that the other person's going to get a little bit of 15 minutes of space in their day to learn something new that the probability says, if you've done your proper targeting, as Chris has admonished, is that you've got to have the right kind of list. If you've done that, then when you show up at that meeting, you can fully, you know, uh, in, in, in an embodied way, believe that that's going to provide value. And that is going to then come across Back to this, um, the, it's the unseen information in the voice phone call. 
There's the words, there's the trans. If you transcribed a phone call, you would see, you know, I don't know, well, maybe you're the, you're the math guy, Chris. Well, I mean, it's, some percentage of the information is the words, but then there's this 80%, 90%, 95% of the information in that call is actually t- the tonality, the energetics, the resonance inside the person's voice that can only be communicated um, with, with the human voice. That's it. You're talking to the person's midbrain. You're not talking to their thinking parts. Right. You're talking to the old brain. And you, you get a direct channel. It's free. It's like they answer the phone. They have opened up a direct channel to their emotional centers that you have an opportunity and an ethical obligation to use for their good. you got seven seconds to do it. So I would recommend that you develop the skills to use those seven seconds. The seven seconds that you have are all you have for market dominance. At second eight, you're, you're screwed. You've got to learn how to use those seven seconds to get somebody to trust you. Then you have to use that trust ethically, which is pretty simple. Just manufacture a little curiosity and stick to your guns. That's kind of it. Your guns being, hey, I, you know, it's really important that you, you come to this meeting because there's stuff you're going to learn. I mean, you don't have to say it like that. Right. You can say something along the lines of what you believe. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough. Yeah. Better and believe it. And I, this, this ethical obligation, that, that piece of it as well, is, 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 uh, it's, it's that idea that if I don't reach out to these folks or if I don't connect with them, then there's a possibility their life is worse because I didn't, I didn't take action. I didn't, I didn't reach out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did. And I didn't, I didn't master the seven seconds. Instead, I led with value, blew up the call. They hate salespeople a little bit more today than they did yesterday. And, you know, off we go. Exactly. I mean, it's like, you could always say, well, I don't know. I thought he'd be offended if I slapped him in the chest and felt, you know, kept him from walking in front of a bus. By the way, I actually did this once. That's why this hit home to me. I actually involuntarily reached out and hit a guy in the chest, my business partner, before he stepped in front of a bus in the, it was in an ice fog. It was like, and he was in a brain fog because we'd just come out of a bank where they told us they didn't want to help us. So, uh, you know, I could always go, well, it wasn't my job. It's his job to keep himself from walking in front of the bus. Uh, you know? Right. Once no. they answer the phone, it's your job to save them from the trajectory that they're on, which just has to do with ignorance. They're ignorant, innocently ignorant of something that you or one of your experts could share with them. Right. It's that, it's that uh, you know, if you're a fan of the movie, The Matrix, it's that moment where the little, the little, the knock, knock Neo comes up on the co- computer screen. He's sitting there, he's doing his daily, but he's just grinding away. He's in his daily thing, daily thing, daily thing. He knows there's something wrong with the world, but he doesn't really, he's too busy to acknowledge it. And then all of a sudden there's a little knock, knock Neo and, and they don't try to sell him the whole package that, Hey man, you're going to save the universe, but they do just say, Hey, knock, knock, go look at your door and follow the white rabbit. Well, there's the curiosity. There's the interruption. And then there's the curiosity. Wow. And uh, off you go, right? And then they meet, they, they fulfill the promise of, you know, follow the white rabbit. And then they're met with the, the beautiful woman that says, hey, we see something in you. And then it's this constant. So I encourage you to go back and re, go read back and rewatch the, uh, the, the first matrix in that scene. It's the whole process of what you're talking about. And um, All right. All I've, right. 
I've used that as a teaching a teaching tool uh, multiple times. But it Thank really, you. I love it. Helen and I are always looking for something to watch now that uh, you know Shetland has run its course. <laughs> we, we watch each one of those three or four times to see if we could ever get in advance who who done it. We we fail hundred <laughs> percent of the time, but it's really fun. So uh, yeah. we're to the, we're going to the matrix. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing when you really think about it, right? As a salesperson in the innovation economy, you're responsible for the opportunity somebody has to learn about not just your innovation, but the fact that a problem they have is solvable. Mm. That's actually the real Mm. thing that you're taking is everybody's facing problems. And sometimes they don't go after those problems because they don't know they can be solved. Mm -hmm. I mean, in our company, we we teach people one thing, which is you. the problem of talking to as many people as you need to talk with turns out to be solvable. Now, the, the question then is, well, now what? Now what? You know, you're gonna, is that something you want to do something with or not? We can explore. We like to explore through experience. We like to let people use it in production for a day mm-hmm. and see what it feels like. Because if it's like you can talk all you want about a car, but if you go to a village where everybody's riding donkeys and you have the only car, you better let somebody drive that car instead of just describe it as a fast donkey. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the, it, it, it just opens up this. Uh, and again, it kind of comes back to that. The, I'll go back to the matrix. It's a great example. The, he, the, the person likely knows there's this there's this background sense of there's something wrong, but I have no clue that it's solvable. So I just live in a kind of a, a sedated acceptance of the problem, right? So it's just painful. It sucks. Like I hate it, but I'm not, I don't know that, that there could be a different possibility. So I just live with it. And that's, that's where you, like you said, if, if the, if the salesperson comes into that place and says, Hey man, you know, you've probably got this problem and, you know, we can solve that right out of the gate there's this, there's this initial pushback of like, I, 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 you know, A, if we can solve the, if this is so easy to solve and I haven't solved it, then I must be messing up. And I don't even want to look at this reality of the fact that, you know, I'm asleep in the matrix instead. So I just push back and, and reject, right. Versus this slow seduction of interruption trust, curiosity, conversation, you know, down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's really what it sounds like you guys do is really, you just open up more rabbit holes for people. We, we, we open up more rabbit holes and we finally decided to teach people how to crawl around in them because we got tired of watching them, you know, stick their heads in and then come out with that head. It's like, Oh no, th- those rabbits bite. Right. Uh, let me think. <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> right. The rabbits. So we've bite. taken up teaching folks. That's our new thing. And we were reluctant to do it. Now we have a lot of grist for our mill information wise. Right. So mm-hmm. we, we connect roughly 3 million sales conversations a year and they're all done you know, kind of in anger. That is somebody means it because we're not cheap. Right. So it's not like somebody goes, Oh, I sort of accidentally used connect and self for a year. That doesn't happen because right. you accidentally shipped a lot of money to us and you probably should have meant it. Right. Right. So we have, you know, a lot of information, 60 million dials mm-hmm. a year, 3 million conversations. We use it ourselves. My team talks to 78,000 VPs of sales a year. 
we don't choke any of them and force them to do anything. We just want to see if they're interested in attending a meeting where they could learn that you can have a lot more conversations where by so doing your reps might be able to get a lot better if you have a sort of a message framework that works and you teach it to them and you coach them intensively. We're happy to do that. We finally have gone into that business reluctantly, yeah. but here we are right. coaching people. We run this thing called flight school. That's why I'm wearing my little flight school shirt. Yeah. And, um, but when you come right down to it, if this stuff was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? It's, it's not easy to solve this mechanical problem. We solve a mechanical problem as a math problem. Mm-hmm. It takes about 22.4 dials to get somebody on the phone. All the people who say it takes eight, they're remembering the cherry pick dials to people that they already knew, right? If you're really going to market, it's going to average somewhere between 15 and 40 dials to get one, one target on the phone. So now the, the only question is, well, how long is that going to take? Right. And the answer is three minutes <laughs> if you do it our way and an hour if you do it the other way. So, well, and so I've got two questions on that point, because I think uh, one is, so th- I know that if you're listening to this, you may go, how in the world do you get people to answer the phone? How in the world? Because nobody answers their phone. That's going to be the, I, mean, I imagine that's an objection you guys get. No, I never oh. answer my phone, right? I never answer my phone. Um ever. My wife will tell you, don't ever call me. I don't care. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. But so what, what is your, what's, what do you see? Because obviously you are connecting. What, where's, how do you, de- how do you defeat that story of people don't use their, you know, people never answer their phone? Well, the story we only defeat through experience. We, we induce people to try it and they're always shocked. Mm-hmm. Here's the standard test drive. I've been trying to reach that guy for three years. That's the, and I just talked to him. Right. Did you blow it? Well, yeah. But right. wow, it's really exciting. <laughs> well, that exposes something that, you know, I could see how you meant, you talked about how, it, how at some level you amplify the suck. But on the other side of that, if, if a sales executive, you know, does the proper interruption, the proper interruption to trust, to curiosity, that if that's executed well, that that is going to stand out dramatically versus anybody else that's reaching out to them. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you take six, you know, 10 sales reps and they're all reaching after the same guy. And let's say they all somehow connect on the phone, um, which is unlikely, but let's say they all do the one that executes it. Well, is going to, it's going that's not just enough that he, he gets the meeting and the other guys don't. It's that he's now differentiated his product and his company simply through the way the sales process is being executed. Yes. And, and in fact, it comes down to that first seven seconds. Can you get trust in the first seven seconds? Because mm-hmm. if you really recast the purpose of a cold call, especially, and think the cold call's purpose is not to get the meeting. The meeting is the product. The purpose is to get somebody to trust you and therefore to be open to future engagement. That's actually the only purpose. And given that you can, that's like, you're, that's good enough. Just mm-hmm. do this thought experiment. If you could flip a switch and get everybody on your list from taking the right colored pill to trust you, you'd be shipping them pills out <laughs> in like their favorite chocolates or something. But <laughs> hey, you know, here's, eat this. Yeah. You do that. Why? Because you would dominate that market. 
Immediately, right? For mm-hmm. The first to trust is the first to dominate. It's the irony of the whole thing is people don't think of trust like this. They, and they don't think of dominance like this. They think dominance, like I'm a big dog. I came out, I dominated. I was rough and tough and mm-hmm. I made them do things, right? It's mm-hmm. like market dominance. So I, my podcast is called Market Dominance Guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the car guys is what it's fashioned on, which is two guys who kind of take a different point of view about something, you know, the car guys did about cars, right? It's a couple of MIT engineers who are kind of taking you through the world of your car. And it was a cool show and they were funny. And this is kind of the the same thing. We look at it like we're we're the market dominance guys. It's kind of funny because the only thing that we're suggesting is you truly, physically, literally, in the old sense of the word literally, which by the way, for you younger people, used to mean actually. (laughs) <laughs> before it took on its new meaning, which is not. Um, but back in the day, so to speak, literally meant literally. And we are literally saying you should, you should pave your market. That means make it easier for you with trust relationships before you engage the market with value. Mm. It's a sequencing thing, pave with trust. Now, once you get somebody to trust you in that first seven seconds, you're crazy not to see whether they're interested in taking a meeting with you, because the sooner they do that, the sooner they're going to learn about the possibility of solving a problem the way you solve it, right? which is to their good. So if you care about them, you do that. But you've won already in seven seconds, 100% of the time, you're not just ahead, you're the, you're the winner for all time, because somebody comes along and tries to displace that trust, and they will not be trusted. Mm-hmm. That's the mathematics of trust. It's a mouse trap. Once snapped, the mouse is dead. Other mice come along. They don't have the privilege of being killed by that mice mouse trap. It's already snapped. It's yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's that's uh, this idea that if if you're doing that at scale, right? And if you think about the the what happens to salespeople um, when they live in this world of perpetual scarcity, right? Um, there is a cost to themselves and their lives. Um, and I'm sure you've seen this, right? It's, oh. it's, uh, it's, and I, and I've, I've, I've been there. That's the, that was the genesis of this podcast is I, I got into a point where I was just absolutely sacrificing everything um, at the feet of a number. Um, but when I had a, had a first daughter and then a second daughter that uh, God saw fit to kind of rearrange my priorities uh, <laughs> through the, through my children and my wife, um, that, that, uh, you know, I realized there was another way to play the game. And I, you talked about, um, you know, one of the things I saw in another in an interview you did, you talked about, you just ask a simple question uh, about like, what if we reverse the order? And, um, I see that in what you're doing here is I, you know, what are you seeing in terms of the, Life's the life of the salespeople that are perhaps leveraging this weapon in terms of how this plays back out in their life where there's not the, the, oh, I wonder if I can get a meeting today or I know I can you know, get, enough, get enough calls or whatever. And when that scarcity goes away, I would imagine there's this, because that's the, that's the painful uncertainty that you're dealing with most of the time. So you have to get really, really creative and really effective at this outreach um, or relationships or whatever, but but if you're living in that place, there is a energetic drag that 
affects everything else. And what kind of where I found myself is I've got to, instead of having, you know, business first, that was my first thing I'm thinking about every single day, just the number like this. I realized I had to reverse that. I had to, I had to get in alignment with God. I had to get alignment with my family, alignment in my body. I get those things. And then that energetic resonance that you're talking about comes through in that phone call, much more effective than the next guy, because I've got all these other things. And I've done the work over there, but it, it sounds like you, at some level, your, your approach is allowing a lot of that to be offloaded. And I would imagine there's a, there's kind of this impact to the salespeople their lives at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Sean McLaren, our founder uh, says, if you use connect and sell, you know, your dog will like you more. (laughs) (laughs) And he has a really good point. You you spend some more time with your dog and your dog's going to like that. True of your kids, true of yourself. Yeah. True of your community. You know, it's just true when you have, let's face it. Dialing the phone to nowhere is fundamentally frustrating and fundamentally wasteful. And nowhere is the standard outcome 22.4 times out of 23.4. So if you take that and make it go away, just literally make it go away, go away. Mm -hmm. So all you do is you push a button and you go about your business. By the way, when you're using Connect and Sell, the weirdest thing is you push the button and you just go about your business. So Cheryl Turner, who works with me, and she is... Perhaps the greatest cold caller has ever lived, as far as I could tell. It's possible. Um, she gets meetings with people like this. The CEO is putting gas in his car in a rainstorm in New York. And he says, Cheryl, of course, I don't have my calendar available. I'm putting gas in my car in a rainstorm and you know, it's cold. And she says, fantastic. Tell you what, I'm a morning person. I'll shoot you something for next Thursday. We'll move it around if we have to. That's Cheryl Turner, right? And she, <laughs> and she says, fantastic. Not like she means it, but as she means it. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. It's fantastic that I'm going to let you go and we're going to talk later. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's like, who could beat that? right? <laughs> and so she uses Connect and Sell often with our mobile app, which is just being launched right at this instant, by the way, it's being used by Scott Webb at a at a big conference, big uh, commercial insurance conference in Las Vegas. And he's sitting in his booth using the mobile app, calling people at the conference to have them come over and have a meeting with him. Oh, wow. Now, that's pretty clever. This yeah. is a guy is he, he actually currently has a run rate of about 90% conversation and meeting close. I should look at his numbers for today. They're going to be pretty amusing. But anyway, she, you know, Cheryl, she plays with her kid. She has a three-year-old. She's out playing in the park, talking to CEOs. Mm-hmm. that's work-life balance right there. It's not like carving out the time. You actually don't spend the time at all. We spend the time. I have 600 people navigating phone calls right now so that salespeople like Cheryl can focus on helping folks see and feel the wisdom of learning through a meeting mm-hmm. that's on offer. That's the division of labor. It's a subtle difference in how to divide the labor. It's very, it's like, Here's the question I would always ask of anybody. Is that thing you do a natural part of the job that somebody with your core skills should do? Mm. Whatever it happens to be, right? So if I were to walk into a a kitchen, I used to work in in a kitchen as a dishwasher, and then I worked as a cook and stuff like that. If I saw the chef over washing the the lunch dishes and pots instead of prepping the dinner, I go, uh, 
were you hired for your dishwashing capability? And if the chef said, well, I don't, yeah, well, whatever, the dish has got to be cleaner. I can't serve. It's like, hire a stinking dishwasher, you know, <laughs> because you trained for 20 years to be a chef and we can probably get somebody to wash dishes. It's a skill. It's true. But we can probably get somebody else to do that. And then you're liberated, not only from the time, but from that emotional suck. Because when you walk in and see that pile of dishes reach into the ceiling, yeah, it's you got to be emotionally ready for that. That's that's the dishwasher's strength. Is to well, do that. and how do you know, speak just thinking of your friend Cheryl, I mean, how do, how different does she show up if she's showing up after spending, you know, 45 minutes with her child when she does get that connection? That 45 minutes of being in integrity with her family is going to show up energetically in that in that in that inner voice, right? Yeah. That, and she the, and she does it while she's playing with her kid because right. frankly, if you're pushing your three-year-old on the swings, your three-year-old's pretty happy. Yeah. And yeah. if you're talking to a CEO at that moment, you're pretty joyous in your voice and they're going to want to come along with you because everybody wants to come along with the happy person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well Chris, you know, you've done this, you you you've built companies um, and you found something that you've really poured into for since I think 2011. Like what's your, what, what gets you going? Like, why do you, why do you stay in this fight? Why, what do you, what do you, why are you there? What, like, what's, what's your why behind which the work that you're doing? You know, to me, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's, this sounds a little arrogant, but a fairly long time ago, I did the math on the innovation economy and realized where it was bottlenecked. Mm-hmm. And I have the privilege of getting to address that bottleneck. That's so it. It's right. It's right back to that dissatisfaction with the status quo that started <laughs> way back in physics class. <laughs> I think everything sucks. My mother used to call me persnickety. Um, you know, I'm not the kind of person who sends a steak back because if it sucks for me, I don't really care. Yeah. Because I mean, this is something my mom, my mom told me when I was really young. She said, I was bitching about something. I, I was, and I was very verbal. So, I yeah. mean, it was hard to get away from, from my verbal gymnastics if I was complaining about something. And she finally just stopped me. She said, Chris, I have something I want you to think about. This is back in like 1961. She said, there are 3 billion other people in the world and only one of you. <laughs> I thought about it. It's like, oh, so if I'm just focused on what I want, I'm only getting one three billionth of all the value. Huh. huh. I get it. Maybe I should focus on what's good for other people because I seem to actually be doing okay. I just don't like how things tend to be and I want to make them better. So that was sort of the flip for me was it's it's actually easier to live a life focused on helping other people. Mm. And it's a pain in the ass to live a life focused on yourself, especially if you're perpetually dissatisfied like I am. It's, it's dealing in the, it switches from uh, self-focused to, to dealing in the currency of impact. And, uh, and that's what you've, that's what you've been scaling. So I, what's, you know, you mentioned that you're launching an app today and that's come, that's coming live. Like what's next for the business? What's next for you? Like what's uh, what's on the horizon? That you'd like to share? Well, two, two big exciting things. One is that there are industries that are organized differently from others. And the world of what I call top producers has become more interesting to me and more open for us. So top producers are people like commercial real estate folks who fought their way to the top of 
you know, Bo Beery is a good example. Bo Beery is the king of multifamily in Gainesville and the surrounding area. Everybody who's in multifamily really knows multifamily wants to kind of be Bo Beery. Well, helping Bo Beery doesn't sound sensible for Connect and Sell, right? Because he's already at the top. But actually, Bo Beery has got to continue to make deals. And commercial real estate, they don't ever turn off the treadmill. No. <laughs> You're on it. Yeah. Your business isn't worth $100 million someday. It's like it's worth the fact that you're there and you can make deals. So, working with those kind of folks, which is something Cheryl and I are doing, mm. and kind of getting an industry like that organized around conversational excellence and abundance rather than organized around some kind of infrastructure and back office baloney, right? If you really kind of think about it, we did a lot of infrastructure and back office stuff as a means of aggregating firms and, and did it through process of acquisition. Well, what if you could, instead of acquiring firms, what if you could help the best be better and do it in a way that they're also mutually helping each other mm. and they're doing it yeah. through conversational abundance and conversational excellence. So reorganizing the top producer oriented industries like commercial real estate, like commercial insurance, like wealth management, that's, that's a very strong interest of mine. And I think it's done around conversational abundance and conversational excellence. Very interesting. Yeah, we uh, maybe should connect on that some more sometime. Uh, that's but that's uh, that's I love this concept of conversational excellence and abundance um, because what you're really doing is is generating that market dominance through paving it with trust, paving that place with trust, and helping these folks that maybe already have you know have have the play, have the expertise. They already are the Obi Wan Kenobi. They just need to talk to more Luke Skywalkers. So yeah, yeah. Um, I want to come into town where. You know, somebody's doing a real good job keeping uh, law and order on their horse. Yeah, I want to. I want to. You know, bring them a nice police cruiser with a four hundred and fifty cubic inch engine, and and uh, let them let them catch a few more bad guys. You know, yeah, not have yeah. to ride that horse quite so hard. I love it. I love it. Well, you also and you mentioned so you mentioned one thing. What was the second thing? So the second thing is there's a a whole world. We have this funny. Experience thing that we have connect and sell, which is an experience product. We don't even, we don't give demos. Don't let anybody look at it. You just experience it. You, you use it for a day. And I realized that, you know, we have about 7,000 people a year go through our test drives and they're reps, right? And I want to open up, I don't know if I can do it by the way, but I want to open up the possibility of those reps being able to improve the living that they make by taking that experience and sharing it with somebody else so that they might, you know, come to us as, as a potential person having the experience and then taking it into their company. So we kind of go top down now. We go in at the VP level and it's about, mm -hmm. you know, it's about a lot of stuff. They have the experience, but it's like, you're going to save a ton of money. You're going to hit your number. It's a, it's a form of insurance, blah, blah, blah. Right. There's nothing much grassroots that goes on with Connect and Sell. And I want to use our mobile app and use the ability to gamify, the, to, to have some fun, because it really is fun to talk to people Yes, and see whether we can make a kind of re a referral network that's fun to be part of with mm -hmm. that, you know, you're sharing something you experienced with somebody and maybe, you know, that may come back to you in the form of, uh, of, of some money. We're really, really starting to align and create a community around around the mission. 
Yeah. So that's fantastic. Well, I'll give you one shot. I mean, it sounds like you said, you mentioned that your fiance is working on a book. What's the, uh, what's the book about? It's out next year sometime. Okay. Don't, don't be in a, too much of a hurry. It will change everything about sales management. It's, it is, uh, I've been watching her manage for a while, a couple of years. I didn't believe in sales management. I thought it was a myth. Mm-hmm. I really thought sales management was just this BS thing where you promote somebody into the position and then they hire people, put them in territories, tell them war stories. And when they don't work out, hire another person. And the ones that do work out are your success stories. And then you take credit for that, having told them war stories that you believe actually changed how they work. We all know that's kind of BS. And we all know sales management has had a lot of weak, weak elements to it, right? She really does it, real sales management. She carries a pretty big quota. It's got a B on it. So, you know, that's why she has the nice office. Got it. With Got the cruise <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's, it's going to be a heck of a book. And um, I, I think that sales management is going to become the discipline that makes a difference in the next 20 years. Because mm. if you think about the innovation economy, it comes down to this. Where are the best sellers going to go wherever they want? Mm-hmm. Is it just going to be following the money? Probably not. It's going to be what's the experience like? Yes, the money's part of it. But that sacrifice of your life for the money is not going to be so common, especially if you don't have to move your body anymore. You don't have to uproot your family. Yes. Now yes. there's a lot of freedom. So who's going to win in the innovation economy? The folks with the best sales managers, because it's the manager that causes somebody to feel comfortable enough to stay and perform. And it's the bad manager that they quit, not the product or the company. Beautiful. Well, you you heard it here first. That's the harbinger of what's to come. And uh, Chris, you've been... Um, looking down the down and over the horizon for a long time. So I, I just got to tell you, I really appreciate that our paths got to cross here and that we got to have this conversation uh, and the, the work that you're doing. I, I can see how it could really change uh, someone's world in terms of uh, from a salesperson's perspective. So uh, I hope that uh, this won't be the last time we talk. I'd, I'd love to have you back sometime on the on the podcast and and certainly when at the time, time is right, would love to, to talk to Helen at some point too, if, if it would serve her. But um, I appreciate it. It's great to connect with somebody else out there on the battlefield that's really, really creating an arsenal of weapons for, for the, uh, for the sales, salespeople out there that are just trying to make an impact. Well, thanks, Brian. This is a lucky day for me. I really feel like this is uh, super special together here. So thanks so much. Thanks so much, Chris. And that's what we've got for you today, my friends, from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. Check out Chris and his company, Connect and Sell at connectandsell.com and go to thesaleswar.com for more information about the war paths you can take to weaponize your sales process as you go into the new year, including access to the new book, The Sales War. Thank you so much for listening. More to come.